0: Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 5, Episode 2. In the last episode, I summarized the first third or so of the Book of Numbers, from Chapter 1 to Chapter 13. If you missed that episode, you should go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm doing the same, working my way up to Chapter 20. And with that, let's get started. Chapter 14 picks up where chapter 13 left off, with the people not very happy and Moses wondering why God has left him in such a situation. Despite fire and plagues, nothing changes. The people keep complaining to Moses and Aaron, thinking that God has left them to die in the desert. In their minds, they should have stayed in Egypt. Second verse, same as the first. But now there's something different. They think that they will be slaughtered by the Canaanites and other residents of the land promised to them, people God said he would lead them to victory over. And the Israelites are ramping it up, threatening mutiny by choosing another leader. Fortunately, Moses and Aaron have backup this time in the form of Joshua and Caleb. One of them, or perhaps both, say to the people, The land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Things didn't go well, as the response was swift and severe. The people threatened to stone them. There's no mention of a silver trumpet sounding. But despite this, God notices everything, appears to Moses, and says he's going to strike the potential mutineers with pestilence. If that wasn't enough, he's also going to disinherit them. But Moses will be spared, and is given the same promise that was given to Abraham that God will make of him a nation greater and mightier than the Israelite people. Despite this, Moses pleads with God on behalf of the people. And he doesn't just plead, but he appeals to a different side of God, saying, If you kill this people all at one time, then the nations who have heard about you will say, It is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land he swore to give them that he has slaughtered them in the wilderness, And now, therefore, let the power of the Lord be great in the way that you promised when you spoke, saying, The Lord is slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And I'll end the quote there. Essentially, Moses goes on to remind God of everything he has said earlier. You have to admit, Moses didn't shy away from a difficult conversation. God responds that while he does forgive, He's not completely forgiving the Israelites, since they have seen his power and glory with their own eyes, and many still doubt. Those particular people will not live long enough to make it to the Promised Land. Then, he singles out Caleb in his words, Because he has a different spirit and has followed him wholeheartedly, God will bring him into the land into which he went as a spy, and his descendants shall possess it. Then God tells Moses, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by way to the Red Sea. God next tells both Moses and Aaron the specific words they should address the people with. They are to tell the masses, As I live, says the Lord, I will do to you the very things I have heard you say. Your dead bodies shall fall in this very wilderness, and all of your number included in the census, from twenty years old and upward, who have complained against me, not one of you shall come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, son of Jophana, and Joshua, son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become booty, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have despised. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness for forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness, until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness." Quote. But God wasn't done. He explained that they would wander for forty years, because they had spied on the promised land for forty days, so one year of punishment for every day of spying. Also, the men who had spied and returned with an unfavorable report, well, they were dealt with swiftly and severely, dying of an unspecified plague in short order. Of course, Caleb and Joshua were spared. The people immediately regretted their decision and attempted to reverse course to the point that they plotted to head to Canaan. We're told that they got up early one morning and hiked into the heights of the hill country. When they got there, they said, Here we are. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Moses rebuked them, saying, Why do you continue to transgress the command of the Lord? That will not succeed. Do not go up, for the Lord is not with you. Do not let yourselves be struck down before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will confront you there, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. Despite Moses' warning, they went into the hill country anyway, without neither the ark nor Moses, and things went as Moses predicted, with both the Amalekites and Canaanites coming out and defeating them. They were chased as far as Hormah, which gives me another place to cover, and that's the end of chapter 14. Chapter 15 begins with an unexpected turn. God gives Moses instructions on how to perform sacrifices when they arrive in the land promised to them, presumably to be carried out 40 or so years into the future, the burnt offerings, the sacrifices, offerings of wine and flour, all of it, and all of it essentially previously covered. There's also a warning masked as a story, a cautionary tale of a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath. God tells Moses to have the man who broke the commandment about working on the Sabbath stoned to death, and he is. God then tells Moses that the people are to put fringes with blue cord on the corners of their clothes. This is to remind them not to lust, neither in their hearts or their eyes. And that's it for chapter 15. Chapter 16 begins with another fomenting mutiny, a revolt among the people. Over 250 men from various tribes, including the priestly Levites, confront Moses and Aaron about why they considered themselves above everyone else. It seems they had forgotten about the speech given by God to Aaron and Miriam a few chapters earlier. Or maybe they hadn't been told of it. Either way, Moses then tells them to make their complaint straight to God, and even gives instructions on how to approach the ark. The next day, Moses and Aaron, and the few hundred mutineers, all approach God so that he could render judgment. God then tells Moses in front of the men that he was going to kill the rebels. They all then fall on their faces, obviously in desperation. God has Moses single out the leaders and cast them from the camp, along with their families. Moses addresses the outcast, quoting the text, The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, along with their households, everyone who belonged to Korah, one of the leaders, and their goods. So they, with all that belonged to them, went down alive into Sheol. The earth closed over them. And they perished from the midst of the assembly. All Israel around them fled at their outcry, for they said, The earth will swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. End quote. And I think I've covered Sheol before. If not, I'll cover it here. Just after this passage, God reminds Moses that only descendants of Aaron can approach the altar. At the end of the chapter, we're told that the very next day, the whole of the people rebelled against Moses and Aaron. Again. These people are truly very stiff-necked. As soon as the rebellion became apparent, Moses and Aaron turned toward the tent of meeting where the cloud of God appeared. God then spoke to the brotherly pair, telling them to distance themselves from the congregation. A people he was going to consume. The brothers once again fell on their faces. Moses then gives instructions to Aaron to walk among the people, carrying a censer with fire and incense, in order to make atonement for their sin. This was at the same time that the people were being afflicted with an apparently fast-acting plague. Aaron moved through the crowd, with some already having been struck dead. Before the sun went down, 14,700 perished from this plague. Only when the plague had been halted through his quick-acting atonement did Aaron return to Moses. And that's it for chapter 16. Chapter 17 begins with God addressing Moses again. This time, he tells Moses to gather twelve staffs from the leaders of each of the tribes. The staffs are to have the leader's name written on it and then be placed in the tent of meeting before the ark. God will then choose from the staffs a man who will put a stop to the complaining. And of course, God just doesn't point at the staff. Instead, he will cause a miracle. He will make the staff sprout or blossom. The specific words depends on the translation. Moses does as told and places the staffs in the tent that day. When he enters the tent the next morning, Aaron's staff had sprouted. According to the New Revised Standard Version, it put forth buds, produced blossoms, and bore ripe almonds. Moses removes all of the staffs to show the people. After they all get a look, God has him place Aaron's rod back in the tent to serve as a warning to those who would provoke a rebellion and to make them stop their complaining. If they continue, God tells Moses the complainers will be punished with death. No surprise there. Of course, Moses does as he's told. Do recall many episodes back when I covered the Ark of the Covenant. One of the artifacts said to be in the Ark is this staff of Aaron's that bloomed. And that's the end of the short chapter 17. In 18, the narrative switches again this time cycling back to the responsibilities of the priest. Essentially, God addressing Aaron and telling him that he and his descendants are responsible for the sanctuary in the tent, since the other Israelites are way too irresponsible to be trusted with it. Anyone else who enters the tent will surely die. God also tells Aaron that the priest can retain a portion of the offerings and sacrifices the people make to God. Like many sections in the book, this is a reiteration of what was told in Exodus and Leviticus, occasionally adding additional information. One additional piece presented here is that going forward, when a firstborn son reaches one month of age, that household owes a tax of five shekels to the temple. The same is true for the firstborn of unclean animals. No reason is given why the Israelites would be keeping such livestock. The firstborn of clean animals are not exempted and must be sacrificed on the altar, with the priest retaining the leftover parts for dinner. Also, priests must make offerings of atonement for their sins. There is one other new part. The priests are not exempt from tithing. Whatever portion of the offerings they retain, they are expected to give back 10%. Think of this as trickle-back economics. The Israelites give 10% plus all of the other offerings and sacrifices like sin and firstborn and celebratory, and a portion goes to the priest who then give 10%. There are other nuances to the rules, but overall they reiterate the previously given statutes. As an aside, it's redundant passages such as these that cause some biblical scholars to think that the different books of the Old Testament originate from different sources. And that's chapter 18. Chapter 19 covers a subject that pops up in modern media every so often, the Red Heifer. Normally, I'd just summarize this part of the narrative, but given its seemingly perpetual reference... I'll add it to the list of topics to cover later. God tells Moses to have the priest Eleazar to take an unblemished red cow, one that's never been placed in a yoke, to take it outside of the camp and sacrifice it. The cow's blood is then to be brought back to the tent of meeting and sprinkled in front of it. The carcass is to be burned, and the instructions are really specific. So I'll quote... From the New Revised Standard Version. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its skin, its flesh, its blood, with its dung shall be burned. The priest shall take cedar wood, hyssop, and crimson material, and throw them into the fire in which the heifer is burning. Then the priest shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp, but the priest shall remain unclean until evening. The one who burns the heifer shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his body in water. He shall remain unclean until evening. There is more in the text about the gathering of the ashes and who is unclean and how they become clean, and about the handling of a dead body. More redundancy with a bit more new information added. There are new rules, well, likely better termed clarifications of other unique circumstances, such as what happens when someone dies in their sleep. Specifically, what happens to everyone who slept in that tent and managed to make it through the night? Everyone who comes into the tent and everyone who is in the tent shall be unclean for seven days, and every open vessel with no cover fastened on it is unclean too. What about dead bodies in an open field? Whoever in the open field touches one who has been killed by a sword or who has died naturally, pausing for a second, the original Hebrew does not contain the word naturally, but the meaning is essentially the same. Touching a dead body makes you unclean. Unpausing. Whoever in the open field touches one who has been killed by a sword or who has died naturally, or a human bone, or a grave, shall be unclean for seven days. In my mind, all of this is added because since the last recitation of similar statutes, these specific circumstances have arisen. The ancient version of a warning label. When you see an unusual or an unexpected rule, it's because someone once, or maybe more than once, did something. The text gives the people specific instructions on how to become pure again, and what happens if they don't. Spoiler, they're cast out from the camp. And the text reads that the casting out is permanent. There's more specificity to it, but I need to move along. If you're really, really interested, you know where to find it. And that's how chapter 19 concludes. 20 begins with the people encamped in the wilderness of Zin, at Kadesh. It was then, and at that location, that Miriam died and was buried. And once again, the wandering Israelites have run out of water, and they complain yet again, longing for the days in Egyptian slavery. It was here that God told Moses to command a rock to bring forth water, water for the people and their livestock. Moses does as he's told, but makes a mistake. The text is a bit unclear as to why what happens, happens. So, I'll just quote it and let you interpret. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. End quote. This is the reason Moses was not allowed to enter the Promised Land, and instead died on Mount Nebo. As the text also implies, a similar fate would meet Aaron, which I'll get to in a minute. But first, the Chronicle touches on a little history. The narrative reads, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all the adversity that has befallen us, how our ancestors went down to Egypt and we lived in Egypt a long time, And the Egyptians oppressed us and our ancestors. And when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice. He heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Now let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from any well. And we will go along the king's highway not turning aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom, meaning the king, said to him, You shall not pass through, or we will come out with the sword against you. The Israelites, presumably Moses, said to him, We will stay on the highway, and if we drink of your water, we and our livestock, then we will pay for it. It is only a small matter. Just let us pass through on foot, but he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large force, heavily armed. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through their territory, so Israel turned away from them. quote. And embedded here are a couple of topics for later, Edom and the king's highway. The people depart from Kadesh and make it to Mount Hor, which we're told borders Edom. In another place to add to the list. Here, God addresses Moses and Aaron again, saying, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land I have given to the Israelites, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and his son Eleazar, and bring them up Mount Hor. Strip Aaron of his vestments, and put them on his son Eleazar." But Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. End quote. Do note that the text is specific. Both Moses and Aaron are present, and God is only addressing Moses. Wonder what was going through Aaron's mind. Moses does as he's commanded, and Aaron dies on the mountain. The population mourns Aaron's death for 30 days. And that's the end of chapter 20 and a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll pick up with Numbers chapter 21. You don't want to miss it. Before signing off, a quick summary of the topics to be covered later. Hormah, Sheol, the Red Heifer, Cedarwood, Hyssop, Edom, the King's Highway, Mount Hor, and Meribah. Numbers is already giving me more to work with than Leviticus, but, so far, not much more. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at ChristianHistoryPodcast.com As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at ChristianHistoryPodcast.com This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.